Welcome to the Jackson Cloud. I'm Jamin. I'm Casey. And I'm Olivia. And we're going through a series on Genesis. Today we're going to talk a little bit about the serpent, his temptation, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, and all of that jazz. So let's start with the serpent. But first off, temptation, speaking of it, we have merch. So let's tempt you with some merch. If you put the link in the description below. We just tied our shirts to Satan. <laughs> Maybe don't do that. <laughs> uh, so I was trying to get it in beforehand, but it didn't work. So I was like, I was going to try for you it. You don't just tag off of anything. You have to, you should have just said, wait, hang on. We have merch as well. Not speaking of temptation. Uh, you want to try it again? Nope. That's staying in. That's canon. Yes. I'm okay with it. Okay. Well, um... Right. Anyways. <laughs> Would you fall into the temptation of the snake? Click on the quiz below. You guys are killing me. What is happening? <laughs> okay. But We're it's in, funny though. We're in the Garden of Eden. And this is God's space. Okay. Right. So he has crafted the whole world in the story of creation, but there's one special place where his presence is especially manifest, his holy temple. He rests, he sabbaths in this area, and when God rests there, he is putting his presence there as well, okay? So, now that God is here, uh, we should expect that we would find the other kinds of things that belong in his sacred space. So like the Bible sometimes gives us a picture or I think it's Hebrews that talks about how like uh, our tabernacles, our temples are a shadow of heavenly things. In other words, like we're just trying to capture what God's sacred space looks like in heaven when we're making these earthly sacred spaces. And therefore temples in the Bible are like the heavenly and the earthly, like think almost multi-dimensional. They're overlapping. So like, here's Solomon's temple. Here's God's temple. And then God's temple, when the cloud of God in Chronicles moves in, the two kind of like merge. Wait, so just to clarify this, I'm gonna try to use a movie example that has done something similar. And that's the animated series Hercules. Which so. no one has seen, so no one will understand. Go ahead. No, but like, when Zeus wants to talk with Hercules, he inhabits the statue that is in his temple. Right. And Which so, is what ancients thought right. idols were for. Not that the idols were gods, but that they were more or less storage lockers the gods could move into. Right. So is that similar to like your idea of like the multidimensional... Uh, I don't love using Hercules and false idols as my example. But it does make more sense, though. It doesn't make more sense. Well, it's, it's trying to elaborate your point. So though. think of heaven as like a... Uh, we always think of heaven as up there, right? Mm -hmm. Think of heaven as like a, a veil where I can move the curtain and see what's actually going on in the background. In the, into the spiritual realm. Right. Right? So, like, if we were thinking of 
So like ghosts and supernatural. Yes, if you're thinking of like ghosts in general, you would be, you see something move in the room, you know there's something going on in the spiritual realm, but you're seeing it right there, and therefore in your mind there's like this intersection between the spiritual and the physical right there in that spot. What are you making me do right now? <laughs> I'm trying to take what you said and make right. it in a... Okay. Well, think of God's temple in that way. Were you going somewhere? I've got an analogy we can use. All right, Please. ready? Yes. Earth. Mm-hmm. Circle. Heaven. Circle. Temples. Venn diagram. Isn't a Venn diagram more... Oh, okay. That's when All right. circles overlap. Right. Okay. Okay. So, like, from an ancient way of thinking of this, heavens, earth, mountain is where God lives, or spiritual beings are, because they're, like, right in the middle, where the heavens meet the earth. They don't know the heavens are, like, two trillion galaxies big, right? They just, like... You climb up the mountain, you get high enough to get into God's space. Wait, is that what they thought what snow was? Was like the edge of the heavens, like touching the top of the mountain? Job talks about storehouses of snow as though like snow is compiled somewhere and God will throw it out sometimes. So maybe. What were we talking about? I don't know. <laughs> Temple, heaven, meets right. earth. Right. Eden is God's special overlapping spiritual with earth area. God lives here first in the Bible. Later he'll move into the tabernacle. Later he'll move into the temple. Then he'll move into Jesus. And then he'll move into us. Okay. So this is like the progression of sacred space. Until at the very end of everything, we are given resurrected bodies fully led by the Holy Spirit and given the new heavens and new earth where he lives in the entire planet. Okay? I know God is omnipresent. I, I know. But the Bible is very clear. He also manifests specifically in sacred spaces sometimes. So, anyways, for example, the Ark of the Covenant. Ark of the Covenant it looks like a, a seat of sorts. God isn't inside of it. He sits on top of it. Kind of think like, you know, like Aladdin, you know. What are those called? You don't know. So what I just sang, you all instantly got. Don't act like that was crazy. All right, fine. Prince Ali. All right, so. You, That's all we'll be thinking about now for the rest of like Almost think of that. All right, so you're carrying that thing that kings and queens sit on, but God's sitting on it. Around it, they've got these two statues of cherubim who are guarding God. And when you look at, like, the heavenly, like Isaiah has a vision into God's actual courts, which ours are a shadow of, and you've got these cherubim, like, protecting it. you got these angels protecting him, and then you've got God sitting on the throne. So, again... They're, they're intersecting, if you will. All that to say, the kinds of things that belong in God's sacred space, as we just heard right there, include things like angels, right? Uh, and so when God makes his presence in Eden, and you've got this sacred space where God dwells, would make sense that you would also find spiritual beings in this area. Spiritual beings, sometimes in the Bible, um, are described as 
serpent-like, <laughs> which is creepy to us, you know, especially because we immediately think of the snake. Uh, but I would wonder if that word is partially intentional for that reason. The Bible says, like, of the beasts of the field, there was none craftier than the snake. Uh, so it kind of, like, leads you on one side to think of, like, earthly snakes and all their wisdom and how they don't have legs and all that. It's kind of a parable of something earthly. But at the same time, seraphim means serpent or fiery serpent. <laughs> so, like, the seraphim that protect God's throne, if we were to, like, use the root word to etymologically describe what it would look like, we would have these serpent... Etymologically is not eschatological. Oh, sorry. Etymologically, you gotta use your left hand. Um, but you would think of like, it wouldn't be that weird for Adam and Eve to come across a spiritual being in God's overlapping world who happens to look serpent-like as angels sometimes do and who then comes and tempts you with a voice, you know? Like now we're not just thinking like serpent. Now we're thinking like spiritual being. And in this case, the Bible later, you know, Ezekiel 14, Isaiah, or maybe it's Isaiah 14. Isaiah 14 and I think Ezekiel 28 are gonna describe like Satan uh, and his fall, as well as like him being in the Garden of Eden. You were a cherubim in the Garden of Eden is kind of how I think Ezekiel is gonna phrase it. So anyways, Eve walks up to a snake. She's not weirded out by the fact that it's talking to her. <laughs> She's not like, oh dear, <laughs> like, a talking snake. snake. Yeah, so in my mind, she just runs into one of the members of the divine council of God's spiritual world. And maybe it's someone she even knows or trusts. I, I don't know, but either way, she starts talking to it. And the snake is, is uh, uh, trying to tempt her with his shirts. Trying to tempt her, <laughs> trying to tempt her to do the one thing God said not to do, right? Eat from this tree, uh, because then you'll get the knowledge of good and evil. That part I want to actually read from uh, exactly what she said. We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, "You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden; neither shall you touch it, lest you die." But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. All right, so temptations out there, how would we describe that temptation? Remember, she's talking to a spiritual being. Spiritual being is maybe she even trusts him, knows him. Uh, why is this tempting what's on the table for her? To be like God. To be like God, maybe, maybe. So uh, the word for God in the Bible, you have to translate like based on your context. Am I translating this God or am I translating this gods? The plural in the, <laughs> the singular can, it's like deer. I guess. I saw a deer. Did you see all those deer, right? Like plural and singular are the same word. So the word for God is similar to that. It can go either way. What if the temptation that he's got on the table is more or less he's a spiritual being and a spiritual being, I know this weirds people about out, but in the Bible, at least especially in the Old Testament, 
any kind of spiritual being could be called a god. If you were uh, reigning over a country like the Prince of Persia or the Prince of Greece and Daniel, that would be a god. But Samuel dies, and he's a human being, and when the Witch of Endor calls Samuel's spirit before him, she says, I see a god. Is Samuel a god? No, at least not in the way that we're thinking of it. But in the Old Testament, if it's a spiritual being, you can use the word God to describe it. Because in their minds, like, a spiritual being is a little g God. There's, of course, a huge difference between Yahweh, who is the one true God who has made everything. But if it belongs in the world of the spiritual and it is an entity, in the Old Testament, that could be called a God. Okay. So what if this serpent-like spiritual being walks up to Eve? He's like, here's the temptation that's actually on the table. If you eat of this fruit, you'll be like the gods. You'll be like one of us. We all know good and evil. That knowledge, God has already given us that. Do you want to be like us? Do you want to be better? You know, like what if part of Satan's temptation is... You want to be like me? I'm a spiritual being, a part of the divine realm. You want to be, you want to be like me? You can imagine, like, all the more reason you'd be tempted in this moment. <laughs> uh, I thought we could trust these spiritual beings, <laughs> right? <laughs> and here's here's a cherubim who walks up to me and is like, well, you know, I know God said not do that, the one true God, but I've got that knowledge. Yeah, you, you could try it out, <laughs> you know? So then here's a question. Do you think humanity was supposed to have the knowledge of good and evil? No. Why? Because if we were supposed to have it, wouldn't God have given it to us? What do you think? This becomes a long rabbit hole, depending on which way you answer this. As long as you don't bring our merchant as a a work of Satan. Go go ahead. So if you say that we're supposed to know good and evil, then that means the fall was actually on purpose. Not necessarily. What if a time was coming when we would have gotten to know good and evil, but not from that fruit? Like, maybe it was part of God's plan to eventually give us that knowledge, but we weren't ready for it yet, and that's why the fall happened. That's a lot of ifs. Yeah, no, I know. <laughs> um, yeah. It, I don't know. Part of me is going to sound weird, but, like, remember that? You know that saying that's pretty popular, ignorance is bliss? Yep. I mean, in some cases, that would that kind of is true. Whereas in um, sometimes having the knowledge is not beneficial. Or um, beneficial, but super annoying sometimes. <laughs> so, just backtracking this through. A lot of times people look at the Garden of Eden as like step one. Or just like that was what it was supposed to be. That that was like the all God had envisioned. And then 
we messed up and went through this whole other thing. And so eventually God sent Jesus to bring us to resurrection. But what if step one and resurrection were always in place? How so? Like, do we need to fall to have like the fullness of new heavens and new earth and new bodies? Do we have to fall to get that from God? What if we could have had that without the fall, though? That's what I'm saying. Did we have to sin to get eventually around a resurrection? Or was resurrection always the end game, even if we hadn't sinned? So what you're saying is, Jesus was still going to come no matter what. The fall just made our journey there harder? Yeah. Well, so we have that Jesus was predestined and the work that he was going to do is predestined before time and all that, right? Right. What I'm saying, though, at least for the conversation of should we had that knowledge, do you think in the resurrection we'll have the knowledge of good and evil? I would assume so. I don't think we'd be able to just forget it. So if we never... Well, s- Go ahead. Tracking just slightly. Hmm. Can we have free will without the knowledge of good and evil? We did before, right? Did we? Yeah. Eve used her free will to sin. Even without the knowledge of good and evil. You're right. Yeah. Um, all, All I'm saying is, like, God puts us here, and we are supposed to do the right thing. We do the wrong thing. But was resurrection like, mm, you guys messed up and so now you need resurrection? Or was you will get resurrected one way or another um, and that Garden of Eden was just like days one through seven, what happens on day eight when God is done resting? Maybe that's another philosophical question, I don't know. But my point is, I don't think we were just put on here and like how Eden was, was like how it was always going to be. I think resurrection was always a part of the plan. Now, if we had done this right, we wouldn't have died because we would have been in the presence of God, given knowledge, uh, given the uh, access to the tree of life that keeps us sustained in his presence, right? Resurrection would have looked different because we would have never gone to the dust. But... I would say, I see no reason why this wouldn't be. Wouldn't have God still have wanted, if his plan is now to give us bodies that no longer sin and live forever and can't be corrupted and live in his presence, and that is like Eden just redone in the most beautiful way, then if we didn't sin, isn't that where we were always headed? Just eventually we get to the point where God says, okay, you guys haven't died so far, <laughs> you know, like you never gave yourself over to sin. I am now concretely ensuring that never happens because you have proven yourself. The way that C.S. Lewis phrases it in his book, Paralandra, is when they land on Venus, like basically when their Adam and Eve finally overcome the temptation not to sin, they go immediately to the resurrection. <laughs> They go immediately to the new heavens and new Venus, you know, like they don't they don't have our whole little middle narrative. They go from age one to age three instantly 
Whereas we have this like middle area that due to our free wills sent us a completely different path. So my but point I mean, is, sorry, going back a little bit. Yeah. So probability wise, it's, I don't know. I feel like that the choice is crazy for the fact that it's like, all right, every day for you not to choose the fruit is a continuation of the status quo. But the minute you choose the fruit, status quo changes. That is such an interesting, like, idea of, like, you... So it only takes you to fail once if you fail. But if you don't fail, it's a continuation. Of growing towards, like, when God eventually puts in resurrection? Well, no, I'm just in the... I'm thinking of just the fall in itself right now, of just, like... All right, if you choose correctly, you get to choose tomorrow, too. But if you choose incorrectly, then immediately you fall, you fail. Well, and that's just thinking about that statistically and probability-wise. Well, in the way you're phrasing it, but I mean, there's lots right. of different ways to phrase it. It's basically, look, guys, you can have me or you can have something else. If you're going to choose me, we're going to keep on advancing to where we need to be. If you choose something else... Good news, I'm still going to get you where I want you to be. Because I don't fail, and my plan will come to fruition. But you're going to go through hell if you decide that you're going to take that tree. Right. But I'm still going to get you where I'm taking it, because I don't mess up my plans. Yeah, I mean, having having him go from one to three, the minute they, like... Well, so that's just fiction, though. Right. Would it happen over time? Would it happen instantly? I don't know. Like, that does make me feel better that the test eventually was going to end. But if you think about it being a forever test, mm. of you always have to choose, and the minute you fail, you fail. Like, Well, so this was the other place I was going with. This is the reason I even asked the question on resurrection, is do you think resurrected bodies would have the knowledge of good and evil? I think we all agreed yes. Like, yeah. mm -hmm. why would we want to be put in like these spiritual, immortal bodies, but we still don't understand good and bad? <laughs> you know, like that. That feels like we're the dumbest of the spiritual beings of heaven. <laughs> well, know? it feels like we lose something. Yeah. yeah. So my point would be, and what Olivia. It gave as a, a possibility I think God always intended us to have the knowledge of good and evil but we were to get it from his presence now we could have the quick fix and go to this tree and it would screw us up because we wouldn't even know how to use that knowledge correctly as is proven every day of our world right but if we just stay in God's presence and we talk with him and we spend time with him eventually we would have learned and grown we would have learned and grown and we would have never had this middle age of just complete destruction. So, tree of knowledge, good and evil, kind of a longer path than we kind of expected. But in my mind, it, we chose the snake. We chose a different god. Uh, Paul will even call Satan the little g god of this world. So I'm not like overstating that. We chose the wrong god instead of the right god. But because we didn't choose God, we have this middle age that we live in that that has we have to go through that before we get to resurrection. And I'm not saying we're going to evolve into resurrection. 
because you can't evolve out of this age that we're in. Right. And so Jesus is going to step in and flip the switch because it's that desperate. A switch has to be flipped. It can't just like, all right, guys, eventually the whole world is going to follow me. Just keep going. No, like it's clear that that's not the case. So when the switch flips, then everything that belonged in the second age that can't go into the third is thrown out. So we're in the second age of Middle Earth. <laughs> I feel like the Bible often uses this term of like the like age to come, you know, like the Ionios, I think is how they talk about it, the eternal age, things like that. So yeah, anyways, we're just kind of like looking at the Bible's spiritual history to try to kind of understand. Now, I get it. Paul says that Jesus was always coming. Uh, and like he was predestined before the world was even created. So I get it. Like, were we always going to fall? Maybe. I feel like the Bible doesn't force us to have to go that route. Maybe Jesus was always predestined to fix things. Maybe, I don't know. In the beginning in the Garden of Eden, I think Jesus is walking around because I've already talked about this before. When we right. find physical glimpses of God in the Bible in the Old Testament, and we don't have time for that. But when we have physical glimpses of God in the Old Testament, I think the Bible clearly says that that was like Jesus. That was this, this, this was God in, a, in the form that could engage with us on earth. And in the Garden of Eden, God is walking in the cool of the day. So Jesus was right there. He was already predestined to fix it because he was already present with us. Um, so were we always destined to fall? I'd be willing to say no, but that's not the history we know. And it, it's wibbly wobbly timey wimey. It's so hard to imagine that not having happened because we know the fall so intimately. Um, anyways, lots of conversation right there. Olivia will close us out with a prayer, or just tell you about commenting and stuff. If you want to add to this conversation we had today. Feel free to leave a comment below or join us on the Discord where we can talk more about it. Also, don't forget to like and subscribe. Hit the little bell. Turn on notifications. And check out our merch. Can you even still buy those shirts? I have no idea. Eat from the merch of good and evil. <laughs>